the important thing for people was not that she was far right, but that she was the only opposition. What is at stake here is the future, future that Europe wants to set for itself. There, as unions, where we claim to be uh, very inclusive and open with all actors, we're evidently antagonistic to this kind of dynamics. Hello, and welcome to this episode of We Work Europe, which is a two-parter, and you're listening to the first episode. This time, we'll look at right-wing populism in Italy and beyond. Why are these movements so successful at the moment? How much influence do populists already have? And how might that change with regards to the European parliamentary elections in 2024? We work Europe. podcast of the European Centre for Workers' Questions. In this first episode, we'll travel to Italy. Let's start with a press conference held on the island of Lampedusa, Italy, in September 2023. Qui è in gioco il futuro che l'Europa vuole darsi, perché il futuro dell'Europa dipende dalla capacità che l'Europa ha di affrontare le grandi sfide epocali. This is the Italian Prime Minister, Giorgia Meloni, together with Ursula von der Leyen, President of the European Commission, at a press conference. Both politicians visited this island in the very far south of the Mediterranean after an emergency call from the local authorities. Thousands of refugees had arrived there in the days and weeks before. And it is very important to be able to tackle the uh, huge, massive challenges which lie ahead for us, especially in terms of illegal immigration, what illegal immigration as a challenge represents uh, for us. And President von der Leyen knows this very, very well. And since the beginning of our work, I found that she has been always very extremely cooperative in this respect. And I think it is extremely important. For more than one year, Giorgia Maloney has been the Prime Minister of Italy. Reducing illegal migration is one of the top points on her agenda. Her party, Fratelli d'Italia, or the Brothers of Italy, comes from a right-wing to post-fascist background. It is important uh, to uh, work out uh, solutions which have to be serious, complex and lasting. And we need to all work for the same aim, for the same purpose, developing the uh, coordinated solutions, because it would be meaningless if we were to have a part of Europe working to develop and implement solutions, and another part of Europe, because of ideological reasons, working to disassemble and dismantle them. You might not agree with her opinion, but Maloney sounds like a moderate stateswoman in this press conference. She chooses her words carefully and praises the cooperation with the European Commission. Some years ago, this wasn't quite the case. In 2019, she chanted the slogan, God, Homeland, Family, during the election campaign, which had also been used by Italian fascist dictator Benito Mussolini. 
The European Union wasn't actually a partner to Italy in her eyes, but a menace. And she saw Hungarian long-term Prime Minister Viktor Orban, known for his right-wing views, as an idol. So, what has happened since then? Has she somehow become moderate in the end? Yes and no, says Francesco Segezzi, researcher at ADAPT, an organisation which investigates labour market issues, the economy and trade unions, among other things. According to Francesco, Georgia Maloney has completely changed the recipe of how to win elections when you have a far-right past. I think that uh, far-right uh, parties, if they want to enlarge uh, their majority, their, their, their votes, they have to, they have to follow uh, Georgia Maloney because uh, she became less far-right in foreign policy, economic policy, etc., etc., and she, she maintains conservative uh, soul and the far-right ideas about. Uh, Issues that uh, they didn't cost any euro, so identity policies, uh, uh, or for example, uh, some fights about uh, LGBT issues uh, and family identity and things like that. That are uh, issues that are very important, I think, for the uh, for her electoral base. In foreign policy and the economy, Italy in particular relies financially on the support of the EU. So in these areas, Maloney doesn't have much of a choice but to welcome and collaborate with the bloc. If you look at the latest results of elections in the Netherlands, right-wing populist Gert Wilders followed the same strategy. When he showed his moderate side in the election campaign, his results in the polls doubled. And even though she didn't win the French elections in 2022, Far-right politician Marine Le Pen also had success with the same strategy. Another thing that unites right-wing populists is the rejection of the welfare state in its current form. According to their mostly libertarian ideology, it is too generous, doesn't motivate people enough. Services are not controlled sufficiently, and there is a high susceptibility to fraud. One example of how they have transferred their ideology into action can be seen from May 2023. Georgia Maloney had abolished the controversial citizen income, which was introduced by the populist Five Star Movement in 2019. Its purpose was to reduce poverty in a country with a 10.8% unemployment rate, especially in the South. The choice that the government made about the citizen income are a symptom of this kind of view, of course. Says Francesco Nespoli. He's a researcher from the Lumsa University in Rome and focuses on communication narratives. So if you're poor, it's your fault. And if you just want to get out of poverty, you, 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 you will manage to do it. So the government says, OK, all that I can do is just a little nudge and then do it yourself, do it by yourself, okay? help yourself. In populist theory, people who shelter under the umbrella of the welfare state won't have the motivation to get out there and find themselves a job, and therefore they remain unemployed. But the discussion about employability is always theoretical. We had a lot of measures, we have a lot of reforms trying to enact some active policy schemes, uh, but to be honest, uh, nowadays the situation is really different even if you compare it with Germany, for example, 
where there are a lot of people working for the other people uh, to make them finding a job or preparing them or for training and uh, so active policies in Italy are still at their first uh, step you know uh, so the situation was not the conditions were not ripe for uh, getting rid of the national income in my opinion by the national income Francesco refers to the citizens income However, if you look at the Italian statistics, Maloney might have a point. In Italy, the number of long-term unemployed is very high. Almost between 50 and 60% of the population belong to that category, especially in the south of the country, and especially among women. At the same time, the Italian population is ageing, and demographic change will affect the country sooner rather than later so there will be a smaller workforce to fill the jobs. Fertility rates are declining steadily each year, leading to a shrinking Italian population. This isn't a development for which you could blame the current government. According to many surveys, financial risks and insecurities are the strongest factors why couples choose not to have kids. Therefore, the Maloney government has introduced some fertility-boosting policies aimed at supporting Italian families. But there's a problem, says Francesco Segezzi from ADAPT. They don't have money to do it. So the, in, in the budget law that is going to be approved, they put uh, around a billion of euros about uh, demographic policies, uh, trying, trying to boost the, the number of births, etc. But uh, a, million, a billion is, is not enough. They are going to, to do something about uh, uh, the second and especially the third child I, I don't think that uh, having uh, 1,000 uh, euros uh, more in a year is going to change uh, your reproductive choices. So the country will have to rely on migration to cushion the demographic losses. But harsh national identity policies promoting traditional Christian family values are not necessarily attractive to skilled workers coming from other countries. And the second form of immigration the channel whereby people travel illegally from northern Africa, is one of the key issues the government wants to tackle. All these developments will finally result in political fatigue, whereby the disappointed electorate will tend to vote for extremist parties. So it's a paradox. The more right-wing populists thrive to weaken the welfare state, the more votes they get, even though they aren't really finding solutions to the problems society faces. The question remains whether there are any alternatives. One of them might be found in the northern Italian region of Emilia-Romagna. It is considered one of the most egalitarian regions in Europe, with high-quality jobs and a reasonable cost of living. After the Second World War, Emilia-Romagna used to be one of the poorest in the country. Now it has the same level of economic development as, for instance, the south of Germany. What makes it so special? Certamente la storia politica di questa regione e la presenza di un movimento cooperativo The political history of this region and the presence of a cooperative movement, which from the very beginning has chosen very structured forms from an entrepreneurial point of view, creating real value, promoting employment, creating and distributing wealth, 
are the two elements that have enabled the development of cooperatives on the one hand, and on the other, have also enabled this region to have a high level of democratic participation, a more equal or less unequal distribution of income compared to other Italian regions, and a very high level of competitiveness. This is Rita Gedini, president of the Legacop Bologna, an association that coordinates and represents the interests of cooperatives. And in Emilia-Romagna and its capital, Bologna, there are many of them. Almost 30% of gross domestic product there is produced by cooperatives. These range from supermarkets to social services, benefiting from the democratic participation of their members. Originally a communistic idea, the system has adapted quite well to the capitalist reality. Also, for jobless people, Bologna has found a local answer, in which Rita Gerdini from Legacop is participating. In Bologna, there is a large social and political alliance. With the municipality, the city of Bologna, most of the employers' organisations, the most representative trade unions and the Curia, which together have created a project and a fund called Insieme per il Lavoro, Together for Work, which does the following. It analyzes the needs of the most vulnerable people and introduces personalized measures that, in addition to financial support, also implement accompanying measures for inclusion in work and the development of social support networks. That's the model we like. According to Rita Gerdini, this model meets the needs of jobless people by, at the same time, trying to reactivate them. It could be a strategy for the whole country. The experience of the Emilia-Romagna region shows that a democratized social system can be beneficial to the whole of society. According to many studies, Italian austerity policies and the reduction of the welfare state won't lead to higher productivity. And in the end, right-wing populists will again profit from that. When they cut the services of the welfare state, they also diminish social security. With this uncertainty, young families won't produce sufficient children to maintain the social system. So inequalities will rise, which will lead to the further strengthening of populism in Italy. That's it for the first episode of this two-parter. In the next episode, we'll take the European perspective and look at how right-wing populism might change the European Parliament. We are really trying to do an in-depth analysis of the work the Parliament is doing, especially in terms of their work concerning the social files, what is happening there in the Employment and Social Affairs Committee, and what is then being put into the plenary. And we think it's really interesting what is uh, coming forward there. It's evidently also linked to the broader European agenda. If you like WeWork Europe, do give us a five-star rating and don't forget to subscribe. Also, if you have any interesting topics or feedback for us, just contact ESA at ESA.org. WeWork Europe is the podcast from ESA, the European Centre for Workers' Questions, which receives financial support from the European Union. This podcast was narrated by me, Rebecca Sharp. Script and production by Escucha, Audio Identity.